Hey, welcome to the podcast of C3 Los Angeles. I'm Jake Sweetman, and together with my wife, Nicole, we lead this church. We're glad you're here, and we pray that wherever you're tuning in from, that you are encouraged and strengthened by this word. Here's today's message. We're kicking off the series, How to Experience God, uh, which is a series about spiritual disciplines, Christian discipline. Uh, and over the next 10 weeks, this is a series with 10 parts. So it's going to take us through the majority of the summer. Uh, you'll be hearing from myself and uh, many members of our uh, teaching team as well. And we're talking about things that need to be habits in your life, behaviors that you and I need to be committed to uh, if we are to have the kind of relationship with God that the scriptures say are avail- is available to us. So today, my job is to set the foundation for this series. And I hope that it will help you to see what is available to you so that you would not um, disconnect from what God, the God of the universe, has said you can have but actually would grab a hold of it and explore and experience the dynamic relationship that is available to you. So the title of today's message is very simple. It's just called Experiencing God. I would love for you to write that down, and uh, I think I'll share some things today that maybe you haven't thought of before. So have a pen ready, maybe get your phone out, uh, and uh, put it on airplane mode so you can't get on Instagram and just discipline yourself to take some notes. <clears throat> that wasn't a joke. Why are you laughing? <laughs> yeah. It's a good... Speaking of spiritual disciplines... Turn your phone on airplane mode during church, in Jesus' name. I should explain uh, up front what I mean by uh, the word experience, because that's going to be the word that acts as the golden thread throughout this series, talking about experiencing God through these disciplines. And so we should share a common definition when we talk about what it means to experience God. The most simple definition uh, that I can give to it uh, is to experience God is to have an encounter with him that makes an impact on you in some way. To experience God is to have an encounter with him that makes an impact on you in some way. Uh, That impact might be outwardly identifiable. It might be something that is noticeable by other people. We see that all throughout the Gospels. People have an encounter with Jesus. That makes an impact on them, not just in a way that makes them feel God on the inside, but like they get healed of their sickness or they repent of their sin. There's something noticeable by other people because of their encounter with God. It also might be an inwardly felt reality. Maybe it's a joy or a peace that you're experiencing that is like different to how you were feeling even moments before you had this encounter with God, or maybe it's a thought that pops into your brain spontaneously that wasn't really part of your thought process. It's just, why am I thinking this thought? Um, Wayne Grudem, who is a really highly regarded biblical scholar and theologian, has a colossal work called Systematic Theology, and in Systematic Theology, it talks about all different aspects of, uh, of uh, theology and, and the Christian experience, and one of them is spiritual gifts, and he defines all the spiritual gifts in there. The definition he gives for the gift of prophecy is this, it's telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind which I think is a really great definition, pretty simple, easy for us to understand. Now, if the God of the universe purposefully, directly brings something to your mind, like out of all 8 billion people on the planet, he's like, I'm going to bring something to Adam's mind right now. Would you say that that is experiencing God, having an encounter with him that is making an impact on you in some way? So when we talk about experiencing God, we mean really a vast variety of of things that are available to us. It might be the presence of a feeling that wasn't there moments before, like love. It might be the absence of a feeling that was there that then disappeared, like anxiety. It could be participating in or witnessing a healing or a miracle of some kind. It could be provision coming into your life, even by seemingly ordinary means, because somebody gave you some money, and they didn't know that you needed some money, but God knew that you needed some money, and so he providentially directed that money towards you so that you could have your problem solved. That is experiencing God. It's having an encounter with him that makes an impact on you in some way. Great. 
Another way that we could define experiencing God just more simply is having relationship with him, uh, which is what the Bible tells us we can have and should have. It's walking with him as his kid, as his child, and him interacting with you in a way that actually impacts you. And that's what a true relationship is. When you hear preachers talk about how we can have a relationship with God, they are not offering to you a theological idea. They are offering to you an experience, something that you can actually enjoy, not just enduring your Christianity, but enjoying your Christianity because of not just what's available to you, but who is available to you. One of the goals of this series is that we break out from the self-imposed limitation. Can you guys just make my mic a little less hot? Because I'm going to yell in a little bit. And, um, is that we break out of the self-imposed limitation of defining the experience of God as a, a purely cerebral exercise. And a lot of Christians approach experiencing God in that way. It's just knowing more about him. As though knowing more about him were equal to knowing him. But Jesus does not want you just to know more about him. Jesus wants you to know him personally. Somebody who's concerned with knowing him personally makes it their aim in life to encounter him in ways that actually makes an impact on the way that you live, uh, that helps you to become more like him. I think the Bible calls something like that sanctification. Have you thought about that big Bible word in terms of relationship or have you limited it to just head knowledge? Because it's only going to happen when you really know him, not just know about him. Here's one disclaimer is that an experience with God is never a license to um, present yourself as spiritually greater than other people. It's not something that you relate to others as a spiritual trump card for why you are more X. Um, that's, that's not the purpose. The purpose of an experience with God is because God, by his grace, wants you to know him more deeply. And when an experience with God involves some kind of spiritual gift that all of a sudden God is using you to minister to somebody else, it's not so that you look great. It's for the purpose of that person coming to know God more deeply, knowing his character. Jesus said that you will know a tree by its fruit. And so experiences with God are validated by the evidence of the experience. Uh, for example, if I have an experience with the God of the Bible, the evidence of that will be that I know more deeply God as he has presented himself in the Bible. If I have an experience with the God of the church, that means that it will lead to me acting in a way uh, that is more edifying and more upbuilding to the church and never divisive in any kind of way. You will know a tree by its fruit. An experience with God is validated by the evidence of that experience. If the evidence does not point to greater godliness, then they probably didn't have an experience with God. They probably had an experience with the other guy. And so so uh, there's a distinction there. There's a spiritual realm that is very, very real. And, you know, you can't just go about living any way you want and thinking that you're going to encounter God by doing that. You've got to come to God the way he wants you to come to him. Am I going too fast? Okay, good. Um, I have a lot to get through. So the, the reason for saying all that is to make clear that the goal of the series uh, is not to idolize experiences with God. And that sometimes can happen, where we get kind of obsessed with, oh, I want to feel something, I want to have an experience. And that's, that's not the goal of the series. The goal is for us to see that relationship with God is so real that indeed it will amount to experiencing him. And those experiences become fuel for the fire in us that aids us in our mission. Because you can't tell people about a God that you don't really know. Now Jesus said, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples. Of him, not of you. 
Which means if you're going to make a disciple of Jesus, you need to know Jesus. Somebody will not be saved because you tell them everything there is to know about Jesus. You could read them the entire Bible and they could know everything there is to know about God. Their salvation will only come by knowing him, not just knowing about him. So why would our aim in Christianity be anything less for ourselves than to personally know him? Uh, I think one of the keys to not idolizing something is to stop thinking about it in terms of scarcity and start thinking about it in terms of abundance. One of the reasons people idolize money uh, is because um, they think about money in terms of scarcity instead of in terms of abundance. This is why somebody who is in poverty might be more likely to idolize money than a person who is in wealth. It's not about how much they have. It's about what, how they think about the thing that they do or don't have. If you think about it in terms of scarcity, when you think about a desirable thing as scarce, you tend to make it something that it's not supposed to be. And experience with, with God is, is exactly the same. When we think about it as this really rare, super saiyan, hyper spiritual thing that only happens to like super special Christians, then we're like, oh, wow an experience with God. But if you think about it actually in terms of relationship, then you go, this is something that should be quite common for the follower of Jesus, and it will cause you to stop thinking of it in a way or looking at it in a way or treating it in a way that is more than what it actually is. Now, in saying that, just because we shouldn't idolize it doesn't mean we shouldn't expect them. I think we should expect experiences with God. Look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 5. It says this, for it is impossible, uh, I don't have time to explain the context of this verse, and so this might bring up more questions than it does answers, uh, so apologies there. Uh, you'll have to read the book of Hebrews yourself. <laughs> but it does speak into what we're talking about today. It is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened. When the writer of Hebrews uses the word enlightened, he means converted. So he's talking here about people who were not saved, who now are saved. They, they weren't followers of Jesus, and they've been converted uh, to become a follower of Jesus. It's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted, that is experienced, the heavenly gift, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God, which is more than just reading words on pages, and they've experienced the powers of the age to come, some kind of future life, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Moral of the story, don't backslide. Okay, so, so the heavenly gift, the Holy Spirit, the word of God, the powers of the age to come. All of this points to experiencing here and now a portion of the future life that awaits the believer in what the Bible calls the new creation. The powers of the age to come. I'm tasting of that experience, the scripture is saying. So the question we should ask is, okay, what is that future life? What is that new creation like? The Apostle John answers that question for us at the end of Revelation in chapter 22 and verse 4. He says, well, it's going to be like this. You're going to see his face. This God that you worship whom you have not seen, Jesus, you haven't seen him. You know that you have the Holy Spirit. You know that he's with you, but you haven't seen his face. But one day you're going to see his face. And you're going to belong to him in, in such a deep way that it's like his name is going to be written on your forehead. In other words, your heart isn't going to have any partition or division in it. You're not going to have loyalty to God, but on Monday morning when you don't feel great, being loyal to yourself for 30 minutes or whatever. Like you're just, his name is going to, you're going to belong to him wholly and completely. That's what the future life is going to be like. You'll see him perfectly and purely. And so when Hebrews says we're tasting that, he's saying that we are having an experience here and 
now that is not totally unrelated to that experience. It's like a shadow. It's like a glimpse. It's like a taste, he says, of what awaits us in the future. Paul says it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly. Mirrors back then were like polished brass, polished metal, not like mirrors today where we can see so clearly our face in the mirror, but like it's a bit murky, it's a bit cloudy, but yeah, I can, I can make out this reflection. Right now we see like that. Then in the future life we're going to see face to face. I mean, just like John describes in Revelation 22, 4. Right now we know in part, like I know a God my mind can't fully comprehend because I'm not seeing him and I'm still kind of trapped in this fallen existence then I'm going to know him as I now am fully known so what Paul and what John are talking about here is that there's an experience that is waiting for us The, the, the mistake that Christians often make is we think that the experience we're having now is totally disconnected from and unrelated to the experience that we will have in the future. And therefore, we end up diminishing what we have now. What Really, when the scripture says that the fullness to which we will know and the, and the fullness to which we will see doesn't invalidate our experience here and now. It actually validates our experience here and now because they are two sides of the same rope. We are experiencing tastes and glimpses and shadows of what is waiting for us. And friend, can I just tell you that when you get a taste and a glimpse of the almighty God, even in the here and now, even if it's in a mirror dimly, that reflection is still enough to have a radical impact on your life and on the way that you live. This is what is called experiencing God. Having a relationship with God is available to you. And, and sometimes those experiences will mark you. I mean really, really mark you. When I was 15 years old, I grew up in a church in Atlanta. And every summer we would have a conference, and in the conference the focus was the Holy Spirit, encountering the presence of God. And um, I hope your phone's okay. And uh, <laughs> encountering the presence of God, and I loved these conferences. Like they always really impacted me. There was one year in particular, though, when I was 15 years old, and the meetings were wonderful. But it wasn't in a meeting that God marked me. It was after one of the meetings was over. I was sitting in the back of the the church, and a gentleman sat down, and he began to talk to me, and he started doing what I would later learn is is a prophetic gifting. He was edifying me and encouraging me and talking about, you know, some stuff that he saw for me and my future, and I wasn't weirded out by it. I I was kind of... I was into it because what was happening is he was saying stuff that confirmed what I already kind of knew and what I already felt, which is what the gift of prophecy often does. It's not like some weird, wacky revelation like, well, I don't know about that. It's, it's oftentimes, it's a confirmation of what God has been speaking to you about. And that's what was happening to me in that moment. It was a really lovely conversation. I got up from that because my dad's on the other side of the, uh, of the auditorium. He's calling over to me. It's time to go. I start walking over to my dad, and the next thing I know, I don't know any other way to describe it other than the fact that I just got touched by the Holy Spirit, and I can barely walk. And I start to cry in such a way that 15-year-olds do not ever want to be seen crying. <laughs> I am ugly crying, absolutely sobbing, literally from nothing to 100 miles an hour like that. I start weeping. And I'm, I, it's like... Um, uh, the, the Hebrew word for glory uh, means weighty, weighty. And it's like the glory of God was upon me. I could literally barely stand. I get over to my dad. I'm holding onto his hand, and I'm just like a, a wet leaf, like fluttering. And, and my dad recognized what was going on. He said, oh, you're being touched by God right now. And I'm like, I don't know what the heck is happening. And it marked me. It, it marked me in such a way that it stuck with me. And now, you know, almost two decades later, I remember that experience uh, 
so, so deeply, not just because it felt good, but because it solidified a direction for me in life. It impacted, it was an encounter that had an impact on the way that I live. A couple years later, I was sitting in uh, my living room on a Friday night, didn't have a lot of friends, so didn't get invited to many parties. And so I'm sitting in my house on a Friday night, and I'm watching uh, a worship DVD. The worship DVD was by this band called Hillsong United. And, yeah, little-known band, maybe you heard of them. Um, but this is before, you know, they were mega. Um, and I'm sitting there watching this worship DVD, and I'm just, I'm kind of like immersed in it. I was a musician, I was interested in it, I thought it was really cool. And uh, at this point, I'm, I don't know, maybe 17 years old, and I've got a pretty clear idea of what I'm supposed to be doing with, with my life. And I, I'm feeling a sense, like, oh, this is a picture of where I, you know, maybe what my future looks like. And all of a sudden, I'm getting like maybe a three quarters of the way through the DVD, and I start to cry sitting there on my couch, 17-year-old kid just crying, not because I didn't get invited to a party, but because God was, he was, I was having an encounter with God. Uh, I kind of, you know, try to wipe most of the tears away from my face, and then right at that moment, my mom walks downstairs, and she sits down next to me, and I look back now, and I, I go, it's kind of providential, you know, that my mom walked downstairs and started to have a conversation with me, because I was trying to, like, it kept me from pretending that that wasn't something and made me realize that it was something. My mom sits down and she, uh, in, in typical, I thought she didn't know I was crying. She probably knew I was crying because you can't really trick moms. Moms usually know everything. And so my mom, she sits, looks at me, she goes, what do you feel when you watch that? And, you know, I'm 17. I don't want my mom to know that I feel anything. So I say, nothing. <laughs> Amen. Some of you are like, that's still how I am around my mom. <laughs> but I was feeling a whole lot of something. And it was another one of those moments that it just marked me. It was an encounter with God that had an impact on the way that I live. Not all encounters with God are like that. Some of them are more like normal. Um, if you can call like the experience of unexplainable peace in the midst of chaos normal. That's the kind of stuff that, that is available to you as a Christian. Sometimes there'll be things, like in the Old Testament, they would have these encounters with God and they would like set up, we call them stones of remembrance, so that whenever they came upon that plot of land again, they would see that monument and go, oh, that's where God met me. Some of them will be like that. Others of them will just be normal. They won't necessarily impact the entirety of your life, but they do have the power to impact the entirety of your day. And if you approach your relationship with God from the aspect of allowing him to impact enough of your days, then he will impact the entirety of your life. And that's the experience with God that is available to every single one of us. Hebrews 11.6 says that whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder, listen to that, that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That scripture just said that in order for you to come to God, you must believe not just that he's real, but that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. In other words, you can't experience God without expectation. 
You have to have some kind of expectation that coming to God is good for me. It's healthy for me. It require, that's where faith is mixed in. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. It's the faith element that causes me to come to him going, I'm going to get what I need from God. That's, that's why I'm here because, because I can't rely on the strength of my flesh. I can't turn to other things. I've got to turn to God in order to get what it is that he has for me in my life. And you can't do that unless there's some kind of expectation of reward. When uh, David was passing the kingship over to Solomon, he gave his son some advice. He said, if you seek him, you'll find him. If you seek God, you'll find God. If you forsake God, he will cast you off. In, in other words, you won't be the king anymore. He'll, he'll, he'll cast you off the throne. And that's really sound advice that David is giving Solomon. That the first priority you have as the king is you need to be a seeker of God. Uh, this, and this is what this Hebrews passage is like a, it's like a callback to this advice that David has given Psalm. It's like a callback to what God says through Jeremiah. When you seek him, you will find him if you seek him with all of your heart. All of that is talking about the same thing, that when you draw near to God, uh, there's an experience that's available to you. And in that experience, as we have defined experience, there is a reward. That's the promise. What this series is designed to do is to help you in your seeking. Um, because sometimes we're not very good seekers. We like to seek a whole lot of things other than seeking God. And God wants you to seek him. In fact, that's the first question that I want to ask you today. I have three questions for you in 19 minutes to ask them. So if I don't get through all of them, the answers are yes, yes, and you'll have to come back for the rest of the series to find out. <laughs> Question number one, uh, number one uh, is, uh, did you know that, that God wants to be experienced? Did you know that God wants to be experienced? Now, you probably do know that God wants to be experienced, but here's the point that I want to draw for you, is that that is not obvious. It is not obvious that an all-powerful, uh, all-knowing, totally self-sufficient, exists independently of every other thing, it's not obvious that that kind of divine being would want to be experienced. Um, God is not contained within space. He's not contained within time. He's not contained within matter. There's no cause behind God. God is the cause behind all other causes, and God exists independently. The word is transcendent. God is transcendent. And it's not obvious that a transcendent God would want to be experienced because he gets nothing that he needs out of you and I experiencing him. Now, that's very different to you and I. You and I want to be experienced, but not just because we're, we're doing it out of the goodness of our heart. We know it's so lovely for other people to experience us, and we're adding value to their lives. No, the reason that we want to be experienced is also kind of self-serving because we actually derive meaning. We derive value out of people enjoying an experience with us. And that's not just something we want. That's something that we need for a healthy human existence. God is not like that. God does not derive anything from you and I experiencing him. So if we can experience experience God, if God allows us to experience him, it must be because God wants us to be able to experience him. In other words, God desire. let me just shorten it, God wants you to experience him. It's his desire. And therefore, to decline the invitation to experience God is to decline a miracle. It's to decline an impossible thing that has been made possible just for you and I to have. God has a, a very deep interest in you experiencing him. And you and I should not say no to that invitation. We should rather take up an entire life where we go, you know what, my life, my whole life is going to be about experiencing God. My whole life is going to be about relationship with God. And I think that the message of the scriptures is actually that this is not a, 
It's not a bug in the Christian experience. It's a feature. Like this is something that is meant to be a normal part of the Christian experience. Uh, is that you and I would regularly encounter God that impacts us in some way. In fact, one distinct feature of Christianity that is different to the experience of the Jews in the Old Testament is that you and I would each have relationship with the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit relationship is distinct to what every one of God's people were, were, were experiencing. In fact, the, the, the New Testament picture of experience with God is a fulfillment of so much of what the Old Testament was looking forward to and promising. So on the day of Pentecost, today is Pentecost Sunday, about 2,000 years ago, there's 120 people gathered in a room, probably no bigger than this, and the Holy Spirit fell on them. And then Peter uh, got up to preach a sermon. People have gathered around, and he preaches the gospel to them. And at the end of the gospel, he says, repent, be baptized uh, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the promised gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's because they understood that there was a promise of the Holy Spirit who was coming for God's people. And the Holy Spirit is what uh, distinguishes you as somebody who has your own relationship with God. You cannot go your Christian existence being content to just know more things about him. You have to have a hunger and a desperation to have relationship with him, to actually know him personally, and let that drive how you spend your time. Let that drive what you hunger for what you desire so that you become somebody who seeks like Jesus said seek first uh, the kingdom and all the other things will be added unto you but you've got to be a person of priority and when you become that person of priority you will find the reward that is in the experience of God that has been made available to you through the power of the Holy Spirit we see this hope as far back as uh, the book of Numbers this is an amazing little story in, in Numbers chapter 11 uh, Moses and the Israelites, they're in the wilderness, so they're between Egypt and their promised land. And they're wandering around in the wilderness because they've made a few bad decisions. And uh, that might be the case for some of us here today. Okay, so, uh, and God does something really interesting. He says uh, to Moses, I want you to get 70 of the leaders, 70 of the elders, and bring them outside the camp, and I'm going to take some of the same spirit that's on you, the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to put that spirit on them. And Moses is like, okay, sounds like a good idea. So these 70 elders, they come outside the camp. They have this private little church meeting, and God puts the Holy Spirit on them. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, the Bible says that they all begin to prophesy. So there's like an outward evidence of the fact that they are having an experience with God. There's one little hiccup. Two of the 70 didn't get the memo, and they didn't come outside the camp. So they're still inside the camp with all the other people, and God still puts the Holy Spirit on them, and they all begin to prophesy right there in the camp. And people are like, what the heck's going on with these people? All of a sudden, they were normal, and now they're prophesying what's happening. A messenger runs out to Moses outside the camp, and he's like, yeah, there's some people in the camp, and they're prophesying. And Joshua, he gets all concerned for Moses' validity as the leader. He's like, this is going to undermine your leadership, Moses. And Moses responds to Joshua in Numbers chapter 11 and verse 29. He says, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that God would put his spirit on them? What's Moses saying? He's saying, I desire that every one of God's people would have the kind of relationship with God that I have. God answered that prayer in Numbers eleven twenty nine, on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago when the Holy Spirit fell and, and Peter stood up and he said, this is, this is what God spoke through the prophet Joel. 
In Acts 2.17, it says, In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. In other words, they're going to experience God through the Holy Spirit. It will be a relationship, not just dwelling in knowledge, but a relationship that consists of experience, and that is what is available to us. One great biblical example is in Romans uh, chapter 5. I didn't tell this to the 9.30, so congratulations, you came to the 11.30. You get a little extra piece of information. Here you go. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 to 5, the Apostle Paul says this. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, I think we read phrases like that, and we want to theologize and intellectualize them, and and, and think about what it means for God's love to have been poured into our heart through the Holy Spirit, and we can be so hesitant to qualify it as something experiential, which I get because we don't want people to use subjective experiences to validate everything that they say and think and believe. And so we're a little overly cautious. But I think if we can all just be agreed upon the fact that a subjective experience does not validate everything that somebody says, thinks, and believes, then we can just take this meaning, this text, at what it obviously means that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And undeniably, that's not just something that you know, that's something that you feel. You can sit there like a robot and go, oh, well, what it means is God has regenerated our mental faculties to read the Bible and understand that God loves us. Or you can be a human and understand that love is never something that you just think about. It's something that you experience. Mm. I should have given it to the 932. Next week. It was the voice, right? It was the, yeah. (laughs) God wants you to experience him. He he desires it. That's why he poured out his love into your heart through the Holy Spirit. The second question is this. uh, Is God worth experiencing? And that also is not obvious. Um, If all you knew is God was a transcendent being, it wouldn't be obvious that he's worth experiencing. Maybe he wants to be experienced, but in a terrifying way. But no, the Bible teaches us that God is absolutely worthwhile experiencing. In fact, the Bible teaches us that God is so worth experiencing that it's actually worth not experiencing other things so that you can experience God. That's what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. He says, I count all other things as loss. Philippians 3 and verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because why? Of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. He's talking about his old religious life that was just knowing about God, but not really an experience of knowing God personally. Uh, jumping down to verse 10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his, even his death. I'll give up my life, Paul says, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Can I just tell you that that is not the attitude of somebody who is excited to know about God. That is the attitude of somebody who is excited to know God personally. Knowing about something is the height of excitement only when that thing can't know you back. 
right? So like you might be excited to know about guitars or to know about cars, but God is not an inanimate object. God is a person. God is dynamic. God is real. He relates to you and I. We can have relationship with him. And so just like you would not be content simply to know about an interesting person, but more excited to know the interesting person. So in the same way, you and I should not be content just to know things about God, but actually to have a relationship with God that is experiential so that God can sanctify us, shape us, form us, help us to become more like him so that we can fulfill the mission of telling other people about him in the earth. Asking if God is worth experiencing is like asking if love is worth experiencing. All the fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, all of those, before they become fruit in your life, they are qualities of God. That's why it's called the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It was His before it was yours. And therefore, to have an experience with God is to experience those kinds of qualities in their purest, most perfect, divine expression. And I just want to tell you that experiencing God's goodness is far greater than experiencing the goodness of the most good person. Experiencing God's faithfulness will leave you far more awe-inspired than experiencing the faithfulness of your closest confidant friend or even your spouse. Experiencing God is like experiencing perfect love that casts out all fear. Experiencing God is like experiencing peace that surpasses all of your understanding. Experiencing God is like experiencing joy that can best be described as full and complete and overflowing, which is exactly how the Bible describes it. It's not just something you understand. It's something that you experience in relationship. Asking if experiencing God is worthwhile is like asking if experiencing courage is worthwhile. You read in the book of Acts and every time they had an experience with God, boldness was the result. And I just think that is so key because there are so many Christians who are afflicted by a spirit of fear. And they are fearful of the future and they're fearful of the world and they're fearful of the devil and they're fearful of man and they're fearful of failure and fear is keeping them stuck. And if you are somebody here today who is stuck and paralyzed by fear, then I would say that you have come to the point where you must recognize that there is nothing that is more worth experiencing than experiencing God. Because when you come into the presence of God and when you experience the God of the universe, it will deposit courage and boldness in you. And what is life for if not to be bold about the things of the kingdom of God. I do not want to be somebody who just keeps to myself, plays it safe, and tries to get through to the other side. I'm not interested in that. I am only interested in being here for the short fighting time that I have and making a difference for the sake of the king of glory. And the same should be true of his entire church. And so we must experience him if we are to do that. We don't have a choice. Question number three, and I'm all done. How, then, can we experience God? Yeah, you guys can come. Don't be hesitant. Sometimes the worship is like, is it now? <laughs> How can we experience God? Um, well, simply put, you've got to pay attention to his invitations. Listen to me so, so carefully. Uh, because if you miss this and you go out of here making up ways to experience God, then that's not going to be great. Um, you can't experience God the way that you want to do it. So, like, don't go out and find some, like, weird New Age spirit practice and be like, oh, I'm experiencing God. No, you're probably experiencing the demon. <laughs> don't do that. I don't know why you're laughing. It's true. The spiritual realm is real. And so, if you're going to seek God, you've got to seek God the way that he says, here's how I want to be sought. That's why this thing is, you should buy one. 
Um, and God gives us ways to seek him. And they're what we will call disciplines. And they're really, really important because oftentimes what we are concerned with is like romance. Like we just want like a spontaneous good feeling with God. It's like, oh, it's... And we're like, oh man, if the worship leader just hits the right note. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. Um, we're talking about fully formed relationship that requires consistency, uh, discipline, sacrifice, perseverance. These, just any good relationship requires these kinds of things. And a relationship with God is exactly the same. So the next nine weeks are aimed at helping you do exactly that, to become a God seeker, which is the best choice that you could ever make. And so uh, bring up that slide for me, guys. These are the kinds of things we're going to talk about. Next week, we're going to talk about the, the honest truth about fasting, how you can deny uh, your flesh. And uh, when the Bible talks about fasting, it's, it doesn't mean like don't go on Instagram for three days. Bible talks about fasting. Uh, when Jesus fasted, the Bible says that he was hungry. So it's denying your flesh food. And in doing that, the scriptures say, you're, you're going to have an experience with me. Uh, the next week we're going to talk about uh, prayer, talking with God. And this is a practice that has changed my life. And I'm going to really excited about this. When I decided or when I learned how to pray honestly, um, it changed, changed me. This is something that happened to me several years ago. And I got, I was in a pretty dark place, like pretty depressive and was so frustrated with life and so frustrated with things that I was feeling uh, that I decided I'm just going to go out of my house. I'm going to walk around my neighborhood and I'm just going to tell God. A lot of times when we pray, we talk to God about the answers we want, but we don't talk about the problems that we have. Um, Psalm 77 talks about how sometimes our soul uh, will like deny us. Like our soul can kind of like be like, eh, I don't want what you're offering. And it's because we keep trying to give our soul like a quick fix. And what our soul needs is really to come to God and, and receive what God has for us. And that's what prayer does. And when I got back from that walk, I don't, again, it's just one of those divine moments. I don't have any other way to explain it other than I was different. And I had been dealing with months of like deep frustration, B borderline uh, probably the only time in my life I was like having thoughts that were verging on suicidal. And I told God about every one of them. And when I came back, I was different and I stayed different. And it's because I think that I made that a practice in my life. And so to this day, on most days, I still wake up most mornings and I go on a walk and I talk honestly with God. The week after that, we're gonna uh, talk about the discipline of study, studying the Bible. Um, because, again, this is more than words on pages. This is a living word that is meant to minister to us. Uh, the spiritual discipline of secrecy. Does God see me? Uh, dialing into our need for recognition as people and turning from being recognized by others to being recognized by God. Jesus talks about that in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the spiritual discipline of simplicity. God plus nothing uh, equals happiness. Talking about contentment. Uh, the spiritual discipline of community. I love God, but I don't like people. The spiritual discipline of solitude and silence, another one that has changed my life, why you can't hear God. Uh, it's because you got too much noise and you don't ever separate yourself from the noise. 
um, that's another one that has deeply, deeply impacted me. I never try to get vision for the future apart from solitude and silence. Uh, the spiritual discipline of confession. Is confessing my sin still relevant? Absolutely. Confession will change your life. And then the spiritual discipline of worship. So we got a big nine weeks in store for us. And this, if you will decide, I'm going to build these in as habits in my life. And by the way, it's not hard. It's really not. There is room in the way that you live. If you'll just become a person of habit, these things become actually quite easy for you. And, but they'll have a huge, huge impact on, on your life. And because of that, you'll have an impact on other people's lives. Now, I just want to say that we live in a city that is spiritually seeking spiritually searching and so I want you to view these next nine weeks as not just for you there are people that you know that are hungry for an encounter and they might be turning to some pretty dark things in order to get that encounter and so why don't you take this as your your commission to go out and be so invitational over these next nine weeks and I believe that as people see the truth of the scriptures opened up for them and the God who loves them and who wants them to know him, there's going to be an opportunity for their whole lives to get changed through the power of the gospel. Amen. You've been listening to the C3 Los Angeles podcast. If you found today's message helpful, we encourage you to share it with a friend and consider rating it. If you'd like more information about our church or details on how to get connected to a neighborhood group, head to c3losangeles.com. We love you. Thanks for tuning in with us.